The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. There have been four movies made of the Fantastic Four, and so far, none of them have been fantastic. And isn't that ironic? Don't you think? This is Totally Super. Hi, welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are reviewing uh, what some have called Fantforstic. Um, the Fantastic Fantforstic? Four movie. Fantforstic. That's what it says on the poster. F-A-N-T, the number four, S-T-I-C. Um, oh, it's of that, course the f- that someone was trying way too hard. I know, I know. This is the uh, the 2015 uh, Josh Trank directed Fantastic Four movie, the much maligned of 2015 Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. Um, let me just jump straight in. Uh, yeah, well, let's do it. Have you seen this date? Have you seen this movie before? I had literally never heard that of this movie until a couple weeks ago when you mentioned it, and we were going into the Fantastic Four thing. So. Um, you know, aside from the fact that I saw it has a 9% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which I guess does define much maligned. Uh, no, I had heard nothing about this. Yeah. Um, have you ever watched a movie called Chronicle? I have not. So I guess we should start with that. Uh, Chronicle is a movie um, that was made by a, a director named Josh Trank. Uh, and it came out in 2012. It is a low, it's a low budget uh, movie made for, I mean, it's $12 million, but it's, you know, relatively low budget. It grossed 126, mm. $126.6 million. Um, it is a movie that uh, kind of introduced the world to Michael B. Jordan. Uh, it is uh, a found footage superhero movie about uh, a bunch of teenagers who are walking around filming everything who discover something that gives them powers. And it is um, the the conceit, the tone of it is similar to what we're getting here. The conceit of the film uh, is, is pretty cool when it comes to, I'm not a huge that fan is of found interesting. footage movies. Yeah, I'm not a huge the- fan of found footage movies in general, but when they work, they're fun. And this was yeah, and this that seems like a way more. Yeah, I'll be honest. The uh, one of the things you're going to hear from me a lot today is just talking about how by the numbers this film seemed to be in its writing, and uh, that sounds way more creative than I would have expected from the person who put this film together. Josh Trank is a really young kind of go for it, do yourself uh, director. If you want to hear from him, it's really interesting because before this film came out, I had seen Chronicle and I was very excited about it. And of course, I listened to a bunch of, of podcasts on a, one of uh, Kevin Smith's Modcast Network shows. He had what was going to be a four-part interview with Josh Trank. One three-and-a-half-hour interview separated into three different parts. And then a fourth interview that was supposed to come out after... Like that that was the week before Fantastic Four opened and the one interview that was supposed to happen after the week after it opened when this Mm -hmm. movie, which cost one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty five million dollars to make only brought in one hundred and sixty eight million. And keep this in mind whenever you're talking about film grosses in general for a film to break even, it has to have a box office gross of twice its budget. 
sometimes more than twice its budget. Why is that? Because one, you ha- what is not included in the budget is the money that is spent on promotion. And what also is not included in the box office returns is that some of that box office money goes to the theaters. So when all is said and done, to break even on a movie, you generally have to make twice your budget to even break even. So when you see a box office of 168 million, you're talking a movie that came in um, like what's half of 170, 85. So you're talking a movie that cost 100, somewhere between 120 and 155 million that only brought back to the studio $85 million. So you're talking a loss of like $60 million. The Um, more you know. Which is crazy. Which is great. Like if you think about that, that is, that is, you know, for, I don't know, Adam Sandler style movies that you could put out, each of which could conceivably bring in a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is, that is, on what should be a sure bet. The other thing you have to keep in mind is some of that money has to continue to pay for the license that Fox has on the X Men and the Fantastic Four, so, which is certainly you, not cheap at this point. Yeah, so when you put all of that together, you have this movie, which is considered, first of all, we'll talk about critical reception, but is a box office. I think disaster is not too big a word because movie th- movie studios build their years around a couple of tentpole movies. The tentpole movies are meant to hold up all the other chances that the studio takes. Mm-hmm. So when... So when you so have, when the ca- so what when what you were counting on as being the cash cow goes under that affects the the entire rest of your studio. Sure, because what you do is you you have that movie, you have your Avengers: Age of Ultron, which makes all the money, and you have you know you you have your Marvel and your Star Wars and and your sure bet Pixar sequels, but then when Pixar wants to put out a movie like Coco which is not a sure bet, right? It's an animated film about it's an animated film about the the Mexican afterlife. Um it's it's really a risky proposition, but they want to do risky propositions because sometimes risky propositions are very profitable and sometimes they're not. What stabilizes all of it is the the go-to tentpole films and this was this was supposed to be a huge hit. And instead, it lost not only the $80 million that it lost, but also lost Fox the opportunity to stabilize their whole studio. It's worth noting that as of this recording, Fox is now owned by Disney. (laughs) So the Fantastic Four is going back into the Disney stable, finally. So all of that being said, you uh, you have Josh Trank, who came off Chronicle. He was given this film, and he was supposed to direct a Star Wars film. Uh, after this, uh, the production of this film uh, got crazy. Uh, there are rumors of him leaving the set, him fighting with the cast, him setting fire to a hotel room. Um, uh, there is, I'm reading this from Wikipedia. Uh, quote Before the film's release, several sources reported that there were multiple disagreements between 20th Century Fox and Trank during production. After being unsatisfied with Trank's original cut, Fox ordered their own changes to the film without Trank's supervision, changing and omitting certain major plot points from Trank's v- version. Many other stu- sources claimed that there was erratic behavior from Trank on the, on the set of the film, which resulted in Fox's negative treatment of Frank. 
Trang. Trang posted a message on Twitter one day prior to the film's release. This is the day before the film comes out that criticized the film, the finished film, expressing heavy dissatisfaction toward the final product. He tweeted, the day before the film came out, a year ago I had a fantastic version of this and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. That's what the director tweeted the day before the film that okay. actually makes a little bit of sense to me because um the fact that if the studio cut out major plot points because I one of the things that uh, struck me when I was done with this film and I almost never say this I frequently say the opposite this film needed an additional thirty or forty five minutes to it um there was it was so quick and just run I think it came in at like an hour and a half and yeah, normally. No, yeah, and normally uh, movies, I mean, if anything, movies have suffered from a bit of bloat in the past couple decades. Uh, so the idea of a well-timed, you know, nice, crisp hour and a half, hour and 40 minute film, especially in a blockbuster level, uh, that's awesome usually. Except this one was, it, I like the first half of the film, uh, the first half of the film was decent. It didn't. It wasn't terrible. It was just, it was like, it was a long, slow buildup of the origin story. And that was great. And then they introduced the villain and I was like, holy crap, there's only 20 minutes left in this movie from the instant that they introduced the villain, it seems like. And, uh, so it was essentially, you know, I, it, if there was an additional 30 to 40 minutes left on the cutting room floor, um, I would be very curious to see what that additional footage's effect would have had on the film. Now, however we feel at the end of this podcast, will you agree with me that that 9% on Rotten Tomatoes is not deserved? Like I would whatever. absolutely 100% agree with you on that. Um, I would um, have rated, well, I mean, we'll do ratings at the end, but I, I was, ex for 9%, I was expecting a screaming train wreck of a disaster. What I got was a solid, what I got was a film that was solid, just not good. Yeah, we have in this film, we have a, how do I put this? We have a film that is ill-conceived in some of its ideas that is poorly executed in some of, some of its effects. And that is a, a trank problem and I'll, and I'll talk about it when we get there we have a film that is uh that that is a a grievous misinterpretation of what the tone of the fantastic four should be um mm, i would agree with that but all in all i also was expecting you know, i posted last night on facebook i said just watch the 2015 fantastic four and people are like i'm sorry oh it's that so bad so bad so i want to be here to say um this this is not a disaster i was only gonna watch it an hour last night and then an hour in the rest of it today and i got about 40 minutes in and i enjoyed it well enough and i sat back and i was like okay I, i'll just watch the rest of it um because it was not, I was expecting it to be the slog that that say Kickass Two or or what's the or the two thousand the nineteen ninety four Fantastic Four was. I was expecting that, and instead mm -hmm. at the at least at the I'll put it this way at least at about the forty five minute mark, I was still I was in I was still kind of the first. I wanted yeah, to see it what really doesn't people. start it doesn't start falling apart until the second half of the film. The first half was you know, not nothing particularly innovative about it, but there was nothing that there was no, you know, grievous errors. Uh, you know what this film might be? 
Um, you know what? I'm just going to say it. This film is like Nickelback in that, is it good? No, not really. Does it deserve the sheer amount of hatred that popular culture uh, enjoys uh, heaping upon it? Also, not that either. Um, I get the sense from, you know, and some from reading some of the comments and reading some of the reviews that this just became a, this was a film that just, it wasn't great. And for whatever reason, it stuck in people's consciousness and suddenly the bandwagon became, hey, this is, you know, it's like Nickelback. It's something that people hate, not because it necessarily deserves it, because it's fun to participate in, in the group dislike. I do wonder if I were to go on Facebook and ask all the people who criticized it, how many of them have seen this film? I would bet, uh, I would bet that most of them have not. I know very few that people I would, who, yeah, who actually go along seen with that. Um, so, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Fantastic Four. Uh, you, we, we talked about it last week. We don't need to get into it. Um, but you are a reader of the Fantastic Four comic books, correct? Mm-hmm. I, uh, Fantastic Four is not uh, something that's high on my list. That's one that I got to go back into. I do, and I want to at some point during this uh, podcast, uh, I, uh, I love the character of Doctor Doom. Um, Doom has gotten... You know, Doom has grown way beyond the Fantastic Four comics. He's a major, major villain in the Marvel canon. Uh, actually, just actually just a few years ago, when they did Secret Wars, where they literally destroyed all universes in Marvel, uh, for a while, the vast majority of comics that were coming out of Marvel all had to do with something called Battleworld, which was the remnant of all of these tiny universes being held together solely by the will of God Emperor Doom. And, and it worked and doom was a fantastic character. Ah, eh, fantastic. See what I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, really what I came away from this film with was the realization that none of the fantastic four films have remotely done justice to the sheer potential that you can get out of Victor Von Doom. Now let's let's put it straight out there. The Fantastic Four is the reason we have Marvel. Stan Lee was going to leave comics in 1961, and he had one more opportunity, as encouraged by his wife, to do the comic that he would want to do. And the comic that he came up with was the Fantastic Four. And the Fantastic Four is the origin of the Marvel Universe. It is where you had suddenly these people who had lives, sort of richer, more in-depth family lives outside of their existence as superheroes. It's worth noting the Fantastic Four have the least um, detailed of those lives. They most closely, especially in their older iterations, resemble the DC comics of the time. Um, but Did this they, predate Spider-Man and X-Men? It does. It does. This mm, is the that first. That makes sense. Fantastic Four came first. Um, they were the origin of the Marvel Universe. Um, it is also worth noting that this film had a... So it's an important film. It's an important film and an important pr- franchise to work. It must work. Marvel must figure out a way to make it work because of how important it is. It's as important as getting Spider-Man right, which it took a few mm-hmm. different versions to do. The... The other thing it should be worth noting about this film is that this is a this is a hit job by Disney. Disney 
was vastly interested in this film not succeeding. Of course they were, right? If that's what they... They want Fantastic Four back. Disney wants all their stuff back, and they didn't want it to succeed. <laughs> it's worth noting that more, more than any real review of the film, the news was Josh Trank you know, is a train wreck on set. And then also, right before this film came out, Marvel canceled the Fantastic Four comic books. Oh, that's right. Now, let's talk about that. Um, this Jerk is move. The, yeah, it's there, and they they refused to let Fantastic Four toys be made. The idea was we're not going to support the Fox movie franchise, and so Marvel they did canceled. something similar with the they did something similar with mutants too, if I remember. Yeah, they they like sort of they didn't they couldn't they outright most stop of the X Men, but yeah, they canceled most of the X books, and then they put mutants into sort of a pocket universe, so that they mm-hmm. couldn't interact with the Avengers. Um, a lot of that is being undone now. Finally, thank God. Um, but this is this is a hit job. They just didn't want it to succeed. So we have a film that is, even if it was the greatest film in the world, destined to fail. This is if the, this film, if it had been great, I don't think it would have gotten that much better of a box office. I think it would go down like a Scott Pilgrim, a great film that no one saw. I think that that plus the the rejection of the other Fantastic Four films, which we'll get to in yeah, it, it was not helped by the uh, it was not helped by its predecessors. And I guess there is also, and it's worth noting, a rejection of superhero reboot culture. Uh, we had sort of around the same time we had had the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man films, which we're eventually going to talk about. Those films do what this film tries to do. They bring Spider-Man into the modern age with the modern grit and the modern feel and the modern tone that Uh, that makes him grit. Yeah. Darker and desaturated and, and, and more angsty. And that's, I mean, so it's the the DC approach essentially. Yeah, if you watch this and the Amazing Spider-Man next to each other, you would feel like they're cut from the same cloth. You really mm-hmm. would. You'd feel like, okay, these are these are trying to be similar things, and and neither one of them were really the way to go. It turns out with these uh, with these characters. All that being said, well, especially um, so it, with this one. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. There's there are some significant problems here in tone, particularly. But shall I give us a plot? Yeah, let's let's go ahead. Let's do the plot, and then let's just dive right into talking about that tone. All right. Um. So we have Reed Richards, who's a genius little boy, who in 2007, where the world looks like it's 1988, builds in his garage a teleportation machine, but he needs one more piece for it. Nobody understands or likes this kid except young boy Ben Grimm, who has a junkyard that happens to have the piece. The two become fast and best friends. And then, as we jump forward from the 1980s, which were seven years ago, to modern day, Ben and Reed have created a working prototype that is going to be shown at a science fair. Of course, nobody even appreciates it there. And so they are ready to walk away dejected when suddenly Franklin Storm and his daughter Suze comes in and says, we are part of the Baxter Foundation. Would you like to come work for us? Because we've been trying to do what you've done and you've done more in your garage than we've been able to do with billions of dollars. Ben Grimm is not qualified to be there, goes back to his junkyard where Reed joins the, the sorry, joins the Baxter Foundation 
working with Sue Storm, and then eventually her brother, Johnny, and then eventually Victor Von Doom, a rejected scientist who comes back into the fold. Together, the four of them make the teleportation device work where they go to an alternate dimension. And in that alternate dimension, for reasons unknown, they decide... Oh, sorry, let me back up. They're told they're not going to be allowed to go to the alternate dim dimension and that astronauts are going to do it. In a drunk rage, the four of them get into the teleportation device, find themselves in the alternate dimension, and instead of planting their flag and going home, which was their plan, they decide to go rock climbing with equipment that they happen to bring with them. They ignite the world the world explodes throwing all sorts of energy and stuff at them one of them's on fire one of them's covered in rocks one of them's getting a blast of the energy and poor victor is shuttled down to the bottom of a cavern presumably killed we have all three of them coming back in a giant explosion and the Cosmic rays from the explosion hit Sue Storm and they become what are going to become the Fantastic Four. Sue Storm has the ability to turn invisible and cast force fields. Mr. Fantastic can turn himself into a rubber band. Johnny Storm keeps the human torch. And of course, the thing covered with rocks, poor depressed Ben Grimm, can never have a normal life again. They get imprisoned by the government. And as they go through some very horrible body horror, we'll talk about it. Reed escapes after seeing how badly off Ben is. The three remaining members of the Fantastic Three work for the government doing hit jobs and assassinations and trying to find Reed. They do eventually find Reed and the and Reed is forced to work with them to reestablish the working prototype of the teleportation device. They go back, the four of them, they, they go, the, sorry, the teleportation device is being used by NASA and NASA accidentally pulls back in the still alive Victor Von Doom, who has unlimited powers of doing whatever he wants, walks around, destroys the base, goes back to the other world, is going to create a black hole that's going to destroy the world. And for reasons unknown, the fairly simple powers of the Fantastic Four are able to defeat him to the point where he is destroyed, presumably, and the Fantastic Four come back. All is forgiven for everything they've ever done. The government, for reasons unknown, now decide they're not going to use them at all and give them their own city where they can work and they adopt the name the Fantastic Four. <sighs> so there's your Yeah, plot. when you put it that way, it doesn't make that much sense, does it? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I think that was so here's the thing I did not know going into this that this was going to be the a gritty reboot um you know I noticed early on that oh the characters are younger than uh than the tradi than the fantastic four are usually shown uh you definitely got the sense that oh these are scrappy college kids as opposed to you know in the original where Reed Richards was always was already like this established uh you know adult scientist um but the the biggest problem with the grit and uh, especially with the dark undertones of, oh, you know, your powers are going to be used by the government now, uh, which, yes, is a very, you know, in the uh, in the NSA post Snowden age that it, you know, the concept of government control is a very real thing that, you know, absolutely there should be stories talking about. Um, but I feel like tonally it doesn't work in this setting specifically because the fantastic four and actually so many of the comics in the sixties, their purpose was to elicit a sense of wonder, uh, to, you know, so they would present things that you would literally marvel at and Reed Richards in many ways, kind of, 
He reminds me of do- of uh, of the Doctor in Doctor Who in that both of them know just a metric crap ton of science, and rather than that making them cold and hard and cynical, it actually fills them with even more wonder. Uh, like Neil deGrasse Tyson as well. It's the sense of, you know, Reed is constantly exploring and, you know, and trying to to discern new things. It's the reason why they went up uh, in space to begin with in the original comic is it's this love of discovery. And, uh, and yeah, it's a much more, as you said in the last podcast, it is a much more fun universe, even with all of the, uh, even with all of the villains that they have to fight against and everything, they never lose that sense of not whimsy, but uh, there, there's an uh, there's an undercurrent of delight in it, and there I, was none of that. I here. think this film has to unfortunately differentiate itself from the two Fantastic Four films that came before, which were light. They were almost comedies sometimes. Um, at the same time, it's trying to differentiate itself from the existing Marvel Universe, which is, you know, snarky. It's a, the, but that's a great word to describe the Marvel Universe as snarky. And they mm-hmm. couldn't think of a way to have optimism, I think, within, within a different framework that they could figure out. I think the idea was this. I think there was a room where a bunch of people, you know, writer directors were given opportunities to say what is your take on the Fantastic Four going to be. And I'm sure some said we're going to try and do our own version of a Marvel movie and some said let's just continue the tone before but let's just make him young, younger, scrappy teenagers. And I think someone said, well, you know what we haven't seen in the superhero genre is David Cronenberg-esque body horror. And what would it actually be like if suddenly your body was not yours anymore and it didn't do what it was supposed to do what would it actually be like to have to be on fire what would what would that actually be like and ignoring the tone of the comics going this is going to be the complement to the x-men films where there is a touch of you know sort of sadness you know it's it's i've been watching the third season of daredevil which by the way it's a shame we don't do tv shows because it's astoundingly good we're gonna have Daredevil. to do an episode on Dare. We're gonna have to do an episode just like on Daredevil as a whole. I think just because yeah, it is yeah. it is that good. I agree. I think we'll have the opportunity coming up because I have a feeling that the Netflix Marvel universe is collapsing. So, um, in any case, this struck me as having that same tone as Daredevil, which I think made me more willing to accept it. And because I'm not a fan of the Fantastic Four, I, there's nothing precious about it for me, so I was able to go with it. But I could see this mm-hmm. is not. This is not what you want from the Fantastic Four if you're a fan of the Fantastic Four. It would be like somebody taking, you know, Harry Potter and making it a making it a, a, a an R-rated horror sex movie, you know, because that's what we want to do with it. It's like maybe they'd make a really good movie, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be what you your primary value of Harry Potter. And the optimism yeah, no, is the, part the of the concept of the concept of body horror in terms of losing control of your body, you know, and like powers being all, you know, powers being a curse. Um, yeah, that's a great thing to explore. But the Fantastic Four is really not the IP that you want to be exploring that with. Um, I mean, the closest that like the, the one it's area. The best in, part, it's the best done part of this film in terms of just yeah, sheer and, filmmaking ability. It is the it is the it is the most affecting part of this film is when they first are shown using their powers it's disturbing and, and yes and, it is and very disturbing so 
Mm-hmm. Um, you said something yeah, the, when uh, you said the doc. When you said the doctor Reed is kind of a dick, a, a jerk. Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to edit it because I don't have time. So sorry I said that word. He's kind of a jerk mm-hmm. um, in the comics. He doesn't mean to be. And it occurs to me when you said he's the doctor, it occurs to me that Reed Richards should be a little bit ADHD and doesn't mean to be a jerk, but he's just got so much going on in his head that he's not keeping in mind what you might want or need. And when I thought about that, that makes good sense. How, how much now do you want to see David Tennant in that role? Because oh you, you would, son of that yeah that, yeah. yeah David Tennant uh-huh. as Reed Richards pretty much playing the same kind of doctor that he played well because David Tennant exactly. did such a great job of David Tennant did such a great job of combining absolute joyous delight with a acerbic cutting edge when needed. Uh, and he's cutting it. I think the, the, would. He, his doctor is cutting you and doesn't mean to be. He really, if he heard, if if he heard that he he hurt your feelings, if you were like doctor, that really hurt my feelings, he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your yeah. feelings. He does like he he doesn't mean to, but he just does, and that is that is exactly what Reed should be. And this in this concept of Reed, Reed is you know is all good all the time. He's the only like. Everyone else is pretty compromised except for Reed, and yet everyone's mad at Reed, and uh, it's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. let's break this film down into three sections. You can tell me what you think. Um, what do you think of all the of the pre uh, the the pre teleportation section, going from basically the childhood to to the relationship with Ben and Reed, and then through the introduction of Victor and that sort of group dynamic that they have, because that's like half the film. They're not the fantastic four. That, for it, a that while. is, that is, that is a major chunk of the film. And it was the part of the film that I enjoyed the most. Um, I liked their take on, well, I'm of two minds on how they handled Ben Grimm. On the one hand, I really liked the actor. I really liked the character with it. I liked the relationship between him and Reed. Um, the only issue that I had with it is it's not at all Ben Grimm from the comic. Ben Grimm from the comic. Like, the, there's a reason why it's clobbering time, which was the thing's catchphrase, really worked. It was because Ben Grimm was always sort of just this larger than life. Like, I almost, you know, I, I don't know why. I just, I picture like, you know, Ben Grimm as like this blue collar, like Boston Red Sox fan. Um, you know, just, you know, caring, but loud and, you know, always quick with the joke, stuff like that, that the whole quiet, reserved, steely while done very well, um, is again, it's just, it's not, it's not what I would have expected from the character. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, too. I always, you know, Ben Grimm is always shown in a hat and a jacket, and that's the thing that's hiding the fact that he's the thing. Um, mm-hmm. he always struck me as kind of like, he's a little by a bit like Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> he's, you know, yes. kind of rough around the edges, but, but maybe not even as rough. He's the guy who would go out for a slice of pizza. He is the, the only member of the Fantastic Four who kind of just goes out and walks around New York. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's the least likely to do he's that. Very he's very gregarious. Yeah, he's a he's he's sad, but his sadness is hidden underneath the rough exterior. That's the thing about about Ben is that he's he is really bummed out that he's the thing. Mm -hmm. And yet that is 
something that he tries he to hides, hide. He hides it under a, not just the rough exterior, but um, he hides it under his cheerfulness. Um, he's a classic example of, you know, the sad clown of, yeah. you know, the person who makes everybody laugh, but, you know, on his own is, is quite sad. And there's none of that here. Um, in this case, Ben Grimm is, is he's Ben Grimm A before he's got powers, and then Ben Grimm B, which is he's just mad. Just really mad. Yeah. Um, um, so much so that when he says the word fantastic. assassin. Yeah, and when he says fantastic at the end, it's such a change in his character for him to say that. He was like, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why? What? You, you, it is? <laughs> you didn't yeah. seem to indicate that. <laughs> Until right now. Yeah, there was nothing earned about that at all. Um, let's see. For the other characters, uh, liked the take on Johnny Storm. That was kind of cool. Um, well, Michael B. Jordan's astounding. He really is. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan was wonderful. Um, um, Sue Storm was fine. <laughs> um, you know, it's they didn't they didn't really go that far into her character. Uh, I think I mean, Sue Storm I, I for what many they did years. Sue Storms for many years was underserved by the Fantastic Four. She's she's the she mom. really is yeah. Um, in in recent years that's changed somewhat, uh, but I think that making her smart was good. Making her capable was good. I don't know why she couldn't have gone on, gone on the mission with them. That might have like I don't know mm-hmm. why she developed powers when no one else did. Why they didn't call uh, her? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I don't get her motivation she sees patterns okay that's neat but i also you know i've seen this actress kate mara in a few things and it's not that she's a bad actress but she just there's nothing she doesn't do well in bringing to life a larger than life character i liked her on house of cards quite a lot um but Mm -hmm. in this in in this she just kind of doesn't have that je ne sais quoi that you need to play a superhero um yeah and then of course we of course we have reed miles teller who, I mean, I loved this guy in Whiplash. He was astounding in Whiplash. Um, he's fine. I clear. I believe he's smart. Like, do you? You? you I believe in the. Mm-hmm. He's like a cap- capable, smart guy, but I don't. Like, I don't get much from him except for angstiness. Are you? Are you feeling the same thing? I'm feeling the same thing. He didn't really have much oomph to him at all. Now, um, I again, think they I were, wonder, they were worried a- so much about playing up the the shy mind. Like he's he's Clark Kent. He's Clark Kent in a lab coat. He was fine. He was milk toast to me. Now he, uh, I don't I don't know how much to lay at the actor's feet for this. Um, Sue is the only one that I kind of feel was being asked to do a thing that the actress was not pulling off. The rest mm-hmm. of them, I feel like they are, what is in the script, they are delivering as well as anybody could. I think that there's no... That makes no, sense. The flaws with their character are more directorial and um, and writing-wise than acting. Yeah, and knowing that there was the, the tension on the set, maybe they would have had, you know, sometimes you get onto a set... And the like, if you look at at Robert Downey Jr., that's him going, okay, this is what I want the character to be. This is what you know. Let, I am now an artist who is also interpreting this and going a certain way with it. And these, with the exception of Michael B. Jordan, I don't feel like any of them are are doing or maybe were encouraged to do any of that work. You know what I mean? I don't get the mm-hmm. sense that they they were being encouraged to to come up with something new and better and to elevate the characters. I feel like they were doing what they were supposed to do and not a whole lot more. 
I do want to give a shout out to uh, to Reg E. Kathy, who played. Uh, oh my um, gosh, Franklin so good. Storm, sort of the father figure. He's Here's so the, like good. I I he unfortunately he unfortunately passed earlier this year. Um, but he his work, especially in the past ten years, has been stellar. Uh, you know, House of Cards, The Wire, um, Luke Cage. You know, any yeah, Luke Cage. You've seen this guy. This guy, like, it's. It's easy to to think that he just came out of nowhere, but he's been around in the industry for years. I remember as a kid watching uh, Square One, which was like the math equivalent of the electric company. And he was one of the, you know, one of the sort of ensemble players in Square One. Huh. Uh, you know, d- yeah, I know. Right. Go back and watch it and you'll have like a holy crap moment. Um, yeah. His work was stellar. And. Especially in the second half of this film, the writing that he was given was so hackneyed. All right, this is the point where we need like the where we need the uplifting speech. Uh, and so here, let's give a you know let's give a paint by numbers uplifting speech. And with what he was given, Kathy did did fine work. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, he that's a a character bringing that's an actor bringing himself to the role and delivering. Mm-hmm more than what's it that's exactly you know the the intensity with which he seems to believe the world he's in is is pretty great we haven't talked at all about doom because there's not much to talk about this guy like he doesn't he doesn't even do that much in the film like he shows yeah he's, he's gone and then he shows up at the end i don't know what his motivation is i don't know like except mm-hmm. that he's kind of jealous about about Franklin and Sue, but even then that doesn't seem like he didn't sabotage their pods or something. Like he I mean, didn't, they make him know, egotistic. They make him egotistical to begin with, but he's, he's actually, you know, he's, he's not an unlikable guy in the first half of the film. Um, and yeah, aside from and so then, the motivation that they, the motivation that they give him for literally destroying the world is that, or literally trying to destroy the world is that while he was in the alternate dimension, uh, you know, he, uh, that dimension gave him power and kept him alive. So now he wants to feed that dimension with ours. And his justification is that, oh, humanity has completely botched things and therefore none of us deserve to live, which they try to foreshadow with literally like one sentence when they're talking about some random thing about like oh we can use this you know this technology to help humanity and he's just like oh well does humanity really need to be helped which is then when sue storm was just like oh we got a real dr doom over here which talking about how badly they mishandled the wink nudges in this we will get to in a bit too um yeah but the point i'm making with this one is it is a completely unwarranted uh motivation for him yeah i don't see i once he has the mask on, uh, and it's worth noting that those are the these are the reshoots. Once he has the mask on, um, I get the menace oh, just by by his by his power. His his power is yeah, so godlike. It's it's it's. But again, that's is that performance, or is that just you know you're watching a guy rip people's heads apart? And of course, he's scary when he does that. Um, mm-hmm. In any case, the the subplot of him being jealous of Franklin. Uh, no, Frank, not Franklin of Reed. Um, it literally doesn't go anywhere. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. And then it's just not a thing again. It just, mm-hmm. it, there's nothing to it. It's gone. Um, and that is, I want to talk a little bit about some problems I had 
uh, th- my problems arise once they arrive on the planet. Because that's when suddenly these smart characters, it's right before they get stupid. The fact that they're they're drunk and they're going to go on, I kind of get the idea of like, hey, we've been working on this our whole lives and now you're saying we can't do it. Um, why that mm-hmm. was not why that was not discussed ahead of time, why that was not, you know, why they got it in their heads that they were going to go and nobody knew, is that really bothered me. And then the fact that they got drunk, the fact that nobody's watching it, the fact they're able to get this thing going, just the four of them by themselves, like suddenly the film gets kind of dumb. And then when they mm-hmm. get to the other world, I'm really, really feeling the sense of actors standing in front of green screens like that's from a production standpoint i am suddenly really bothered by clearly they're like look out here look what's over here and it's just so blatantly an actor standing in front of a green screen it's yeah and also it's it's, this is also the point where their motivation seems to be i'm gonna do this because the plot needs me to no we're gonna go mountain climb and you don't get the sense that they're mountain climbing so when you have a, a Production-wise, you can tell it's a green screen, and motivation-wise, you don't know why the characters are doing it. You are now literally watching actors. You just feel like you're watching actors in front of a green screen because you can't. Mm-hmm. You you're neither on the visceral visual journey nor are you on their emotional journey. You're just watching stuff happen, and the stuff that's happening, you know, the the stuff that is on the green screen is beautiful, but th- there's no effort. To, like it's I. This might just be a uh. Mi- Maybe this was a fast reshoot. Maybe this is just where where Trank didn't know how to do this kind of big budget stuff. But it's knowing, and I hate when I get that green screen feel when I'm watching something because it takes mm-hmm. me right out. Like it's it's they're when they're on the green screen in what's supposed to be the dangerous moment. They're literally hanging off a cliff, and if I don't feel that danger, there's a reason I love that last. Uh, Mission Impossible movie so much because when you feel that it's there, you just feel it more. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mad um, Max Fury Road had the same effect to it. Yeah, it does. The so, the scene on the planet too. Uh, sorry, finish your thought. Well, I was going to say, and also the fact that they are just going to go do it. Why? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the the I mean the challenge that they had in that moment, and this is like it makes me realize the challenge that a lot of superhero films have. Uh, particularly ones where you're going to handle the origin story, is that um, the audience, even if they don't know the origin story exactly, they know enough of the tropes that the, like, as soon as they, you know, as soon as they started talking about the, you know, oh, there's this alternate dimension, you know, everybody is just, you know, anyone watching, even if you don't know Fantastic Four, it's not a huge leap of logic to go, oh, they're going to get their powers in the, uh, they're going to get their powers. And you know, whenever they go to this alternate dimension, when they all decide to go on this joy ride to this alternate dimension and you're watching, um, you're thinking, Oh, well, this is the moment that they're going to get the powers. They say, Hey, let's go explore this cool green light. That's over here. You're immediately, your immediate expectation is, and this is where something's going to happen. That's going to cause them to get the powers. It was, um, there was an expectation set up, a very clear expectation, and then that expectation was delivered on. Um, what was lacking was uh, something, a term I just learned that I really like, called the expectation gap. The moments when a film or a story can kind of really grab us and hook our interest 
is when they've set up, they've given us immersion in a world by fulfilling our expectations in many ways. But then we expect this next thing to happen and then they throw a twist on it or they deliver something completely different. I mean, it is literally your mind goes, oh, I was not expecting that. And while you can't do that all the time, being able to walk the tightrope between when to throw a twist and a surprise to the audience and when to when to keep them immersed uh, by just fulfilling their expectations, that's, I mean, that's really the art of a good story. And what makes it so tricky for superhero films is, well, yeah, of course that they have to get their powers some way. Uh, if you defied our expectations by having them go to the negative zone, uh, which I guess this was, and then, uh, and then suddenly they come back and don't get their powers there, then that would also be a phenomenal failure on the part of the film. Uh, so it is a challenge to, okay, how do I tell this story that needs to be told in a certain way, but still do it in a way that's fresh enough to actually catch our interest? Because if you're not know, going maybe, to do that... Maybe not have well, If you're not going to go... do that, then... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe not have them just go do it for the sake of doing it. Like, that's... You know, the, the, you and I are both actors, and we both know that, that motivation is a huge thing when it comes to acting. Why is mm -hmm. your character doing it? What's their objective and what's their obstacle? What is their objective? Why are they going down there? They're not explorers. Let's keep in mind, this is not Captain Kirk and company. These are, these are mm -hmm. scientists. And the only reason that they came here is so they could say they did it first. They wanted their to mark plant the, on To history. literally plant the flag. Yeah. Yes. It's the only reason. The fact that they're like, oh, we should go down there now. There's no, there's no reason at all for it. There's no, they're, they're not there to get something. There's no, there's nothing motivating them to do what they do. And it could very easily be done. You know, when he planted the flag, there was all of a sudden this explosion of green. You could have had stuff exploding right then. Like you could have things right then kind of go cr yeah. crazy right then. So actually, and it could here, let's like, let's play this game. Since you are a filmmaker yourself in that moment, Okay, so they've gone there, they've planted the flag. Uh, how would you have handled them getting their powers and Victor getting uh, supposedly killed in that scene? Uh, if I was handed like, this film... What would be your take on it? If I was handed this film and said, hey, you can't change much. You can't change how they got there. You can't change the scene after when they get back. You can't change anything. But we're going to let you adjust this scene, this one scene. And here's the footage that we have. And you can shoot, let's say, another two minutes of footage. And that's all you can do, if that's what they said. So the only thing I can do is change this scene. They show up. The thing lands. They're there. Um, and Doom is the one who is walking off. There's no cliff. He's walking off into the distance. Um, and when the flag gets planted, it has the reaction, which they've already shot and it's already there, but that creates some sort of obstacle, which makes it so doom can't get back to the pod. Things start breaking down and start exploding and stuff. And a decision is made to try and go and help doom. Doom is yelling. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. Don't you do it. Don't you leave me here. And so they do their very best 
to save him, but they're unable to save him. And now there's distance between them and the pod. Things are exploding. You get your action scene as they're trying to get back to the pod after trying to save Doom. And they get back to the pod and Doom is yelling at them, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. As Reed is going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the thing disappears. And now Doom has a reason to hate the Fantastic Four. And they have a reason to have had the action scene. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Way more interesting. And it gives them a, you know, then it gives them the the additional layer that they can potentially deal with later of wrestling with the guilt of having left him behind. Yeah. And there's, there's you know, again, Reed has to make the hard choices for the group. And every time he makes a choice for the group, it in, it impacts negatively someone in the group. And that makes the whole group hate him. I mean, that's, that's, that's really easy to do. Instead going, hey, let's all go rock climbing. We just happened to bring this rock climbing equipment with us. What? Mm-hmm. No, see, so, that's a, um, and see, that's a good expectation. That is a good, uh, what you've just pitched right now to me, that is far more interesting because, again, as soon as they go to the dimension, we know, oh, they're getting their powers here, obviously. And that's what has to happen. Um, and then, uh, so the thing gets set up. But what we're not expecting or what's, you know, or the new twist is the fact that they actively made the choice to, uh, you know, for their sake of their own survival, to leave Victor there. Um, you know, a shot, the shot that you described of, you know, Fic- Victor desperately shouting, don't leave me here. That's new. That's not necessary for them to get their powers. That's a little, you know, that's a nice little stab and twist of the knife there. And um, it's a trope, that, right? It's 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 the it's the airlock that you have to close because there's just not time, right? Like, yeah, like that's been that done is, in Star yeah, Trek it's a, forever. Mm-hmm. So we yeah, go no, into I, what is yeah. I was going to say we go into what is my favorite section of the film, which is the like ten minutes once they're in the government base after they've gotten their powers. Um, this again, this isn't the film for that. You know, there's a film coming up called The New Mutants. Uh, that was supposed to have already come out and then was going to come out in February and now has been pushed back a year to 2020, from what I understand. And The New Mutants is a horror take on the comic book The New Mutants, which is not a horror comic at all, but I'm excited about it, even though it's totally different than the comic because I want to see The New Mutants and I like horror. In the, mm-hmm. in the same way, maybe this isn't the Fantastic Four, but damn, watching the three of them not sue so much watching the three of them deal with what's happened to them is horrifying and visceral and effective and i'm in watching his body stretch and you can this is the first time you've seen his body stretch you can still see the muscles and the bones and you mm-hmm. hear like the the cracking of his fingers as he's trying to do it and you feel like you just see it and you're like holy crap what would that be like like that's that's mm-hmm. crazy and the same thing with with you know Franklin seeing Johnny on fire. It looks like a person on fire, and it's it's yeah. hard to watch. And the thing, this is the best. I will say this: this is the best looking thing we're ever going to get. I thought that were they on this budget going to be able to pull off the thing in in CG? It doesn't even look like CG. It looks real. It's it's very pretty very good. well done. I, it's it, very well done. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it it looked like very well done CG to me, but it certainly didn't take me out of it. Yeah, um, those three, uh, I love this section of the film. I think it's 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 horrifying, and I don't mind being horrified. And it, it's it's it was the most gripping, and then the film kind of just goes off the rails. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is, is that like, I mean, when you think about it, really, not that much happens after that. They get their powers. Uh, Reed escapes. They get Reed back. Von Doom appears. And they have, like, there's really, there is, this is a superhero film. And there is really one major fight in it. And that's at the end. There's a brief scuffle when they're capturing Reed. Uh, There's, you know, we do see Victor going around, uh, you know, mind killing a bunch of people. And that also they did a good job with. I thought that was pretty freaky. Um, But the actual... when it's like you said, when uh, when when we watch a superhero film, we we kind of want to see our superheroes get into some tussles here and there, um, and and there were none except for the very end. Now, well, we in don't that get to see them final fight, not just not not just tussles, but we don't get to see them use their powers. We get to see them display their powers, like Sue, mm-hmm. you know, pushes pushes some things, and and you know Johnny is throwing some fireballs here and there. But you don't get, you know, I think about the one that I mean, the movie movie that did it best of any movie, I still think today is the first Spider-Man where Tobey Maguire discovers he has the powers and Mm -hmm. just his exploration of, oh, my gosh, I can do this. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. That's that's it's a pretty great thing. I think also, although the entire film is not as solid as it might be, but uh, Doctor Strange does it really well where yeah. he is getting better and better and he's just like like these aren't action scenes but watching him learn how to go behind Wong's back and take a book and stuff like that that's fun and there's none of that mm-hmm. you don't see these guys using their powers to do anything you don't see Reed getting a drink from across the room by you know by grabbing something you, you know you don't see any of it and so mm-hmm. you, because you don't get to see any of it, there's no fun in it. And when they suddenly start fighting as a team, you know, because you haven't paid off Reed being able to do this, there's a point where Reed is just punching Doom in the face over and over again with his stretchy hands. And it, it, Reed it becomes doesn't, ninja. Yeah, it doesn't work. And it just looks silly. It looks dumb. You have not yet gotten a chance to see Reed explore what he can do. And that would you, you could you could spend 20. You could do the Mr. Fantastic movie and and just have that like learning how to use like Spider-Man learning how to use his webs, him learning mm-hmm. what he can and can't do with, with his powers is like the fantastic. Had they shown this, had this final fight against doom uh, where they work as a team. Cause by the way, the movie really, really wants you to know that one of its central themes is that it's important to work as a team instead of working alone. Like, I, ju- I just want to make that clear that the movie feels it's very important that you know that because they tell it to you a lot. Um, don't forget, in movies, in it's, final, all, it's supposed to be tell, don't show. Tell, oh, wait. No, yeah, tell, don't show people. Tell, that. don't show. Don't let anybody else tell you differently. Um, the uh, the final fight, you know, when they're working as a team, there was some cool stuff. The, uh, the thing of, okay, so... Uh, you know, so Johnny Storm, he throws a fireball at Doom. Doom throws rocks that sort of, like, dissipate it. So the next time he throws a fireball, Sue puts a force field around the fireball, uh, which deflects the rocks. Then she takes the force field off just as it hits Doom. Like, that was a great shot. That was cool. That was, you know, that was right up there with, uh, you know, Iron Man, you know, shooting a blast onto Captain America's shield, to which then reflects the rays. Like, it was cool teamwork. But it's exactly what you said. This was... a this was a scene of teamwork that is a team that has been working together for years. 
and still would have worked as a final fight had we had any kind of buildup of them working together for years. Uh, but we didn't get that. Instead, they went from, we are terrified of our powers, to, oh, I guess I'm kind of learning my powers, but I still haven't actually field tested them at all, to now we work as one solid mind. Well, I think it's it's worth noting that everything you saw at the end, that whole battle is not what Josh Trank wanted. That's one of the major issues, was that he didn't want there to be a giant battle at the end of the film. He wanted it to be intimate and dark. I think he wanted the battle hmm. to be in the in the lab place. Um, but there, you know, it's been noted that uh, that in response to the criticisms of Josh Trank, um, uh, one of uh, Josh Trank's supporters said, and I quote, "I tell you the honest truth is Trank did cut a great film that you'll never see. That is a shame. A much darker version, and you'll never see it." So imagine I, well, this. Film, I would have been interested to see that. Yeah, if it I went have, darker, I might have dis I might have ended up disliking it. But here's the thing: there are a, um, there are a number of times I can watch something that a director does on stage or on film where they had a goal and a vision that they then achieved. Now, I might not like that vision. I might think, ah, oh, I don't like stories that go here or this particular genre. But I can at least appreciate the craft behind. Um, it is better to have a vision that I don't like, but then pursue it wholeheartedly and well, than to have good craft, than to, uh, than to have, uh, you know, terrible craft and have a vision that I'm going for, but then that you never, or have a vision that I like, but then never come close to achieving it. I mean, I will say that the end does seem like it's from another film and it seems really like does. it seems like it's tacked on cause you got to do this. Um, mm hmm so we are we're in a situation where where you have this this perfect storm of a movie that's not going to do well you have a, a a visionary director who made chronicle who comes in thinking he's going to make one thing he's going to really subvert everything you're expecting he wanted to make this new mutants movie that i'm talking about not literally but that's what he wanted to do with the fantastic four let's make it mm -hmm. a dark family drama slash horror movie with some superpowers um, because nothing else is happening and people, you know, let's make the Logan of Fantastic Four movies. Mm -hmm. and Although the only reason have... really why Logan worked was because there had been so many X-Men, like Logan was earned by a lot of other X-Men films. But it's worth noting, Logan is still only like five years after the the first Wolverine film, which is the, could not be more opposite from this. So we have had two Fantastic Four films. So this could have been the counter programming. People kind of knew who they were. So let's let's watch this totally different thing. People could have gone. That's a bizarre take on the Fantastic Four, but it is, you know, it it worked. Like if they, I, I have a feeling that he could have made a movie that worked. But instead, they're like, no, you need your big superhero ending. We want it to be a big superhero movie, and so they spent mm -hmm. a bunch more money. And that did not help them at all. No, but nobody liked the film. It won the Golden Raspberry, tied with Fifty Shades of Grey for worst film. Oh wow, so, that's a prestigious honor. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know what? It kind of made me feel like the uh, so the the ultimate uh, the ultimate version of the X Men uh, for the bit of comic parlance. So Marvel had you know all of its main storylines, and then a while back decided, you know what, let's just do some reboots of a lot of our superheroes 
um, and just, you know, with different twists on them. And they called that the ultimate universe. Uh, so essentially it was, you know, a parallel thing where certain similar things happened, but then others didn't. The ultimate take on the X-Men uh, still dealt with mutants being distrusted, but they made it a lot more about the military grabbing these kids and trying to turn them into weapons. Like the ultimate X-Men was a, was a dark thing exploration of what would the military do if it had zero scruples and access to superpowers. Um, and that's kind of what this film reminded me of. It reminded me, I was, you know, I, so it's, it's not to say that, uh, it's not what I was expecting, but it's not that you can't make a good, Fantastic Four film with that kind of darkness. Now that I think about it, um, but uh, but yeah, you're right. They kind of they don't do a good they don't do a good enough job in the first forty five minutes of saying this is where we're going. Nothing about the first forty five minutes indicates any kind of horror uh, or any kind of darkness, really. So if they had done a better job building that up. Then, you know, had one of the first climaxes of the film being, uh, you know, the, as you described the body horror scene where, you know, the powers do all these, you know, freaky things that they can't control, which again, I agree was, was a nice moment in the film and then, uh, and then committed to that exploration through the end of the film. Uh, I mean, I probably still wouldn't have really enjoyed the film, but I would have thought it was a much more interesting piece. I mean, at the end of the day, this is, this film is, this film is not egregiously bad. It's just ultimately forgettable in every way, shape and form. Had, here's, here's you know, who what knows, I can maybe say about Trank's original idea would not have been an, uh, would not have been a forgettable film, even if I didn't like it. So I will never watch this film again. Uh, well, you want to do, let's, let's do this. Let's get to, let's get to our, uh, our ratings on a, on a scale, once again, of one to five fours, uh, how would you rate, sir, or would you like me to go first, uh, Fan for, Uh Let's see. Yeah, I'll go first with this. Um, I was thinking about this, and you, you know me. I Sometimes I'll give a number, and then I'll say, well, you know, maybe it goes you know, a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Like, to me, this film is an absolute 100% textbook definition of a two. It is not a totally fine film for me. For me, the definition of a three is if I saw this movie in the theater, would I walk out thinking I enjoyed myself? That was a decent film. Uh, it is not at that level. Um, it is also not in the one territory in the sense that there, there were no unforgivable sins committed in the making of this film. It's just not good. Uh, you know, and very blandly so. Um, I will be remembering Kick-Ass 2, which I think I gave a 1.5 to, uh, for longer than I will be remembering this film. But this film is still better than Kick-Ass 2. Uh, so, solid 2. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 2 as well. Um, it is... The cast is game enough and the world is interesting enough that I would have welcomed a sequel to this film. I think it would have been possible to make a sequel to this film that played up the the potential that this film gives. A lot of the yeah, criticism of this a lot of the criticism of this film says that it feels like a pilot episode of a show that we never get to watch. This yes, is that's it exactly. Um this is 
not deserving of the 9% that it gets. It's worth noting the way that that Rotten Tomatoes works is that every reviewers every review is given either a positive or a negative, and then that means that only mm-hmm. 9% of the reviews were positive. And I can see that happening. I can see a bunch of people going, well, it's not very good, but, you know, I'm... Yeah. If I, I still I could see a bunch t- of reviewers saying this is a forty-five percent or a forty percent film, yeah. But then the um, way that that gets rated is they all show as negative reviews. If this film, if I had TV to switch around, which I don't, and this film came on and I was like, you know, cleaning the house or something, I might leave it on. I might leave it on. I might go, yeah, yeah I'll watch. It. I'll I'll watch this in the background again. This was okay. Um, that's a that's a great in, that's actually there's a there should be a term for films or for TV shows that it's like this is something that would make great background to me doing chores. Yeah, but there's that, a lot of films is, like that. This is not um, that. So where would I put this film among other films? Where where what are comparatives with this film? This film is when we get around to X Men Origins Wolverine, I might find myself giving a two i'm not sure what i'm going to think of of that film when i revisit it um it's better than most of x-men apocalypse it's uh it's kind of right there with thor the dark world uh which is you know in my opinion the worst marvel film it's right it, it reminds me a lot in tone of the first incredible not not the, not the first incredible hulk movie but the the incredible hulk movie with edward norton kind of reminds me of that oh, tone. Yeah. it's just it's it's fine. It's okay. Um, but it's was supposed to do much more. It was supposed to launch a franchise. It needed it needed real care. And instead mm-hmm. they did an experiment and then at the end of the experiment they said, oh, I don't like the experiment. Let's just uh let's do what everybody thinks. So it is neither it is neither spectacular. It's not a spectacular superhero movie because they decided to do the experiment in the first place, nor is it an interesting counter-programming because when they got to the end of the experiment, they decided to try and do a typical action, like superhero film. And because of that, the yeah, film... Yeah, it's like they bailed on their... They bailed on the experiment. Yeah, so the, so the film fails in both respects. And so it's a two, but it's not... It doesn't deserve the hate, guys. I mean, it's it's... The people going, oh, it's... It's the worst of all of them. Um, I will say right now, it's better than the 1994 Roger Corman film easily. It's easily more watchable. Mm-hmm. I would turn that yeah. off. That's a film. That's a film that I'm glad I saw it, so I can say I've seen it and I understand it now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to say or not that this is the best Fantastic Four film because it might be. It might actually be. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm interested to see what I think of the other ones, which we're gonna hit in a couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I Arthur yeah, and I had the, uh, a. Do we have? Sorry, well, let me say before Arthur, we uh, move on to what we're gonna review yeah. next. Do we have time for a quick coda? Yeah, sure. Because there was, yeah, there was one thing. One thing that jumped out at me a couple times in this film that. Uh, uh, because you know me, I'm always thinking about okay, what does this? How does this film handle the traditional superhero tropes? Uh, you know those big concepts. And one thing that's become a very strong trope, really, in the past fifteen year, twenty years, is the fan service quote. The uh, case in point in this film, the thing. If you know the comics, you know the thing says it's clobbering time. It might yeah, arguably be the only thing that you know about the thing. Uh, so on the one hand, yeah, it it's tricky because it does kind of have to be in there. Uh, 
But at the same time, how do you do it in a way that's not gratuitous? Because if there's one thing that fans can see from a mile away, it's it's almost like saying it's the whole, hey, kids, look at this little Easter egg or quote that we just throw threw in just for you. Um, and I feel like, uh, they, they tried to justify it by, by essentially like the idea of it being a quote of it's clobbering time being a quote that Ben knew from his older brother. That was a neat idea. Okay. Like that's cool. Have it be part of his, uh, have it be part of his childhood or something so that when he says it, Suddenly there's a sense of how he has owned, how he has suddenly, you know, discovered and owned the quote and made it his own. Like that's a neat moment of discovery and triumph. Um, (laughs) Maybe not next time have it's clobbering time be what his brother says when he is about to abuse his younger brother. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That that sort of takes the fun out of it. Um, And then the other thing, the uh, they there were so many times where they almost got it, but didn't quite at the very end. Uh, where they're just sitting and they're saying, um, you know, so what should we name ourselves? And they're taught, um, they're tossing out the names, which I guess the screenwriter was like, oh, these will be so funnily bad. They weren't, they were just really cornily bad. Um, but, uh, you know, and, if, and they, they do the right thing by holding, by cutting away before he says, we're the Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, this was done really well in the Avengers when uh, just as, uh, Agent Coulson died. He said, "You know, this is for the best. They just needed something to." And then he died, but leaving the audience to realize, oh, of course, what he was going to say was avenge. Um, what they did at the end of this one was, you know, the thing said, "Yeah, no, this is really fantastic." Then Reed turns to him and says, "Wait, what did you say?" And he says, "Oh, it's it's fantastic." And then there's a moment, and he says, "Guys, I got it. I got this great idea for a name. All right." Are you ready? It's, and then it cuts away. They were trying to do the same thing. What I feel would have been a whole lot more effective is uh, had Ben just said, wow, this is really fantastic. And then Reed just sort of turned to him and gone, wait, what did you say? And that they cut right there. By Yeah, I mean, it's um, it seems derivative because this movie came out in August of 2015 and Avengers Age of Ultron came out in April of 2015 and you know they were doing last minute cuts on this film and how does age of ultron end avengers and then they cut to credits like, yeah you're right it's the same same thing um mm-hmm. it's, it's and and it's a- and we're and we're willing to forgive the trope because it's it's a cool trope it's a neat idea um and we're willing to forgive the derivativeness of it if you do it well but essentially what they did by extending the end of that is you could just see the writer essentially turning to the audience, you know, nudging them with his elbow and going, ah, ah, see what we're doing, see what we're setting up, see what we're about to do. Well, and they take so long that I figured out what they were going to do. I knew exactly what was going to happen. Exactly. I knew they it should be something like, to... yeah, that's the thing. like Avengers and then cutaway. As soon as the cutaway happens, then you you realize in retrospect, oh, that's cool what they did. What you do not want is something is any time when you're thinking, oh, it's cool what they're about to do, which I have already predicted. Not when you're trying to undercut. Yeah, it's it's. It's rote. 
is the best I can say. Mm-hmm. The fact that he said, except that I was really distracted by the fact that it doesn't make any sense that he says that this is fantastic. Yeah, like, completely out of character. But it's, it's not, anyway, thank you for, uh, yeah, yeah thank you for allowing me to explore that trope this time. So we uh, we had a an argument between Arthur and I. We, the show almost fell apart and it was going to be all done. Um, I wanted to do all of the Fantastic Four movies in a row. Um, and Arthur was like, dude, these are all movies that no one really likes. Do we really want? Do we really do a month and a half of Fantastic Four movies when they're so? We're going to move I'm on. Just to saying that we seem to get a. We, we, when we were doing like Avengers into Avengers: Age of Ultron into uh, into Infinity War and everything, you know, all of the movies that we're getting, you know, the good movies, the you know, our our responses from our listeners were like, hey, we're really enjoying it. So you know, that's that's not to be ignored. Well, I, I think it's true. I I've been I've been discovering a new podcast and what I look for the movies that are on there. I look for movies that I've seen or that I care about. Um, and sometimes it's, I want to see what they say to a movie that needs to be savaged. Um, and sometimes it's, I want to see what they say about a movie that is really, really good. I rarely say, Hey, what are they going to say about this movie? That's a little bit middle of the road. Um, that being said, we mm-hmm. will finish our fast fantastic four series. We've started. And so we must. So probably at the beginning of the year, of 2019 it'll be we'll we'll hit it but we gotta let's go let's go to the beginning man let's go to the beginning of the marvel universe shall we with iron man next week let's watch the let's do the the first three iron men um uh iron man one iron the cleverly named iron man two and the infinitely more cleverly named Iron Man 3, which is ironic because Iron Man barely shows up in it. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. watch all three Iron Man movies uh, over the course of the next three shows and let you know, do they hold up? I heard Kevin Smith once said that Iron Man is a perfect superhero movie. Now, will we still think that now? Or has the superhero genre evolved to the point where it was perfect for the time, but they've learned how to do it even better? That's what I'm really interested in. And how does it hold up now in comparison to where Tony Stark is in the Avengers and stuff? How like how does it strike us as as different? I think we're really going to be talking about about that because Iron Man is still rooted in the real world. Iron Man is still in a Batman Begins world. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you know how this Iron Man how how does Tony Stark with a hammer you know pounding out an Iron Man suit relate to now he's got nanotechs that can take his armor on and off at the click of a button. You know, how, how does that work? And mm-hmm. that's what I'm interested in, in, in looking at. So that's next, guys. Um, but for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay clobbering time! Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. 